to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be looking at, at verses 12 through 19 this morning. Uh, if you don't have your copy of God's Word with you, uh, we have one provided for you. It's a, a black pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you want to grab it uh, and turn to page 1016, our passage this morning is on 1016 in the black pew Bible. So as you're turning there, if you're, if you're able, I would ask you to stand with me uh, in honor of the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word this morning. 1 Peter four twelve through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rather rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you this morning and we ask for your Holy Spirit's help as we approach your word. Father, we confess this morning that we are sinners who do not deserve your mercy or your grace, Father. But in your mercy, you speak to us and in your word this morning, we find our salvation. So this morning, we pray along with Jesus, sanctify us by your truth, for your word is truth. Help us to obey all that your word says this morning in your name amen and you may be seated i think by and large we as christians live in a time of relative ease perhaps most of us in this room except i I do know that there are a few exceptions the christian life has been a relatively easy life for us to live I confess to you this morning that that's the case for me. It's the case for me. Everyone uh, everyone of age, without exception in my immediate family, love and trust in Jesus. Uh, Almost everyone in my extended family have their faith firmly resting in Christ. I grew up in a home with parents who loved Jesus and who raised me in in a faithful Christian home. They not only encouraged me in my faith and in my discipleship, but they encouraged me in my desire to go into Christian ministry. Not only did they encourage me to, into Christian ministry, they, uh, they gave profound sacrifices uh, and still do to this day, <laughs> living six hours away from them. Right? They, they 
have made profound sacrifices so that I might pursue uh, full-time vocational Christian ministry. Apart from the occasional snarky comment by someone with whom I'm sharing the gospel, I really haven't faced any persecution in, in my lifetime. Uh, but I do know, as most of you in this room, as anybody who's over the age of five, know what it means to suffer. We all know what it means to suffer in this life. I have watched helplessly as loved ones have, have wasted away from things like cancer and Alzheimer's disease and heart trouble and other things. I've had close friends from my high school years lowered into the ground because of senseless, crazy accidents. I've walked through, Laura and I, my wife and I, have walked through the deep sorrows of infertility with some of our best friends in the entire world. They desired nothing more in the world than to have a baby, but they couldn't. And we've, we've walked through that with them, through those, those trials and hardships. I've had the privilege to share in some of your sorrows and your trials in my time here. I've hugged your students. I've hugged your teenagers and telling them that a loved one has passed away. We all know what it is in this life to suffer. All of us know the fiery trials of temptation and sin, don't we? We all know the fiery trials of temptation and sin. All of us, by God's grace, has resisted temptation uh, almost to the point where it feels like the shedding of blood, right? We've, we've all resisted temptation to that point. I identify with Paul as he cries out to God to remove that thorn from his flesh. Whatever it was, we don't know. I, I identify with Paul as, he, as I struggle daily with my own personal sin. And you guys do that as well. And as relatively easy as our lives are as Christians... We know that as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, there will be times when we suffer. There will be. Well, all of you know, or most of you know, that we've been studying through the book of Acts for the past several months, and we, in, in Acts, we've come into this reality really quickly. Right? It, it only took a few chapters for us to see suffering pop up in the life of the followers of Jesus. Uh, we saw suffering in its fullness as Stephen was stoned to death and the church was scattered because of their faith. We saw suffering again as, as Saul, before he was converted, went out to the ends of the earth to gather these Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem to imprison them and even to execute them. We've seen uh, suffering from Paul, the Apostle Paul, after his conversion, when he runs from the Jews who plotted to kill him in Acts chapter 9. A couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 11, we saw Peter go through trial and suffering when his own friends of the circumcision party put him on trial because he shared his faith with the Gentiles. Next week, next week we're going to see more suffering uh, and hardship as Paul uh, begins to go on his mission, as, uh, as James, the apostle James, is put to death for his faith and as Peter uh, is thrown into prison and thrown into jail. So this morning, we wanted to take a moment, we wanted to take one Sunday to take a step back from the narrative of Acts uh, and to look at this text. And we want to look at this text for this reason. We want to think biblically about suffering. 
We want to be able to put categories in our mind from the Scripture about why we as Christians suffer and how God uses suffering in our lives so that as we move forward in the book of Acts and as we move forward in this life and inevitably face that whatever suffering is that is about to come our way, we will have these categories in our mind to be able to understand what is going on. I want us to see in this passage this morning that the Christian life is a life that is marked by sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. But we'll also see that even though we will suffer in this life because of the name of Christ, we also have much to rejoice about because in sharing in Christ's sufferings, we're promised that one day we will share in His glory. Also, the time to prepare ourselves for trial and for suffering is not in the midst of it. Hopefully this morning, as we, as we get these categories from the Scripture about suffering and we put them in our mind, we'll think of them as, as a deposit in a bank that, that one day will be withdrawn, that we will cash in that check. And so hopefully, uh, from looking at this passage this morning, uh, we'll be able to handle the suffering that is inevitably going to come our way. So that brings us to 1 Peter. And before I jump into our specific text, I want us to talk about kind of generally what the book of 1 Peter is about, what the letter is about. It's written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, It it was written uh, with this theme of suffering and glory in mind. And so if you read through the letter of 1 Peter this afternoon, I encourage you to do it. It's, It's five chapters long. It'll take you about 20 minutes to do. There's not a basketball game on, and this would be a better time uh, to spend in God's Word anyway. So <clears throat> read through the book of First Peter, and if you do that, you're going to see this theme, these themes of suffering and glory, suffering and glory, suffering leads to glory, over and over and over again, strung throughout the whole book. But you'll also see that it's the promise of that future glory, right? The promise of the glory of heaven that one day Jesus will return, that, that truth, that reality that, that thing that is our ultimate hope, that day of the Lord that is our ultimate hope, does not cause us to withdraw from the world. It doesn't call us to, to hermit up and to store up goods and, and to withdraw from the world and just hang on till that day. But it's a promise that helps us to persevere in the midst of trial and hardship. It's a, it's, it's a promise that helps us to stand in the midst of suffering and say what we sang this morning. Though through fiery trials my pathway shall lie, your grace all-sufficient will be my supply. That's what, that's what future glory does for us. So I hope we'll see that in this morning. Okay, so there are five things I want us to see in this text. Five principles that we should hold in our minds to help shape how we view suffering as believers in Christ. Okay, And if we keep these five things in mind, uh, they'll help us think biblically about suffering as we move forward. Okay, so... Uh, Point number one, principle number one, don't be surprised by your trials. Peter says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Something strange were happening to you. And that's pretty clear. And it's amazing how many times I've talked with Christians, I've talked with people who are walking through some type of trial and hardship and they feel like they're at the point where they feel like it's too much and their response is, why is God letting this happen to me? What what did I do to deserve this? 
right? Perhaps some of you here this morning are wondering, why would God allow such a good person to go through such a bad time, such a hard trial? Well, Peter reminds us here that we are not surprised. We're not to be surprised when suffering comes our way. Jesus reminded us of this very thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Listen to what it says. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Part of following after Jesus is taking up the very thing that will be the death of you. Right? Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, this is Jesus speaking again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Remember those two words. These are the words of Jesus. Remember those two things. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. There are countless other passages to which I could point you this morning, but Peter's point is this. Persecution and suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. So don't be surprised when it comes. Suffering isn't strange, it's normal. Suffering isn't strange, it's normal. And one quick point here before we move on. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world today where sin rules the day. For now. For now. But not always. Remember, there is coming a day when Jesus will come back and he will set the world right again. Paul reminds us of this day. And when he talks about this day, he says... Your present sufferings won't even be worthy of comparison to the glory that's coming your way. That brings us to point two. So we see that trial is not not surprising. It's a normal part of the Christian life. Point two, you are suffering with Jesus. Now there are kind of two components to this that Peter makes in verses 13 and 14. First, let's notice the contrast between verse 12 and verse 13, right? He says, don't be surprised, don't be shocked at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as something strange strange is happening to you. So he's saying, don't be surprised. And look at verse 13. But rather rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings so that with the result that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see that contrast? Don't be surprised. Rather rejoice. right? Don't, don't be shocked when suffering comes your way. Rather rejoice. And, and that seems strange. Why in the world should we rejoice in the midst of suffering? We're suffering for crying out loud. <laughs> well, we rejoice because this present suffering is something that Jesus Himself experienced. It's something that He Himself knew. There is not one ounce of trial or hardship that you or I will face in this life 
that King Jesus does not intimately know about. That should be a source of great hope for us. Hebrews four fifteen through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Not only has Jesus experienced our suffering, that's part of it. We share in Jesus' suffering. Uh, part of that is not only that he knows, he, he personally experienced all that we have gone through, but the second side of that, the flip side of that, is that Jesus has defeated our suffering and he has won our vindication through his resurrection from the dead. He's, he has defeated our suffering and he has, he has won our victory by the empty tomb. That's why Peter says, rejoice and be glad. Just like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he says, rejoice and be glad because one day his glory will be revealed to us. You see, if Jesus was still in the tomb and then our suffering, we would have no hope. But we have hope in the midst of our suffering because Jesus is alive and because he's going to come back one day and those who share in his suffering will then on that day share in his glory. Verse 14 adds some clarity to what we're talking about. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Why are we blessed in the midst of our suffering? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, in particular, Peter is saying that whatever this fiery trial is uh, that we go through, if it's verbal abuse from non-believers, whatever it may be, whether it's the struggle with sin, whether it's, it's physical struggle, or whatever it might be, when we suffer well in this life, when we share in the sufferings of Jesus, it shows that we belong to Him, that we are His that we bear his name. Think back to Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. The apostles had just been arrested right after Peter's sermon at Pentecost and this, this massive movement of the Holy Spirit and people repenting and placing their faith in Christ. Uh, and the Jewish leaders, the council, uh, brings in Peter and brings in uh, the apostles and, he, and they tell them, shut your mouths. Don't keep preaching the name of Jesus. You're riling people up. And Peter says, if that's what's right in your eyes, then we can't do it. We're going to be obedient to God, not to you. And what did they do to the apostles? They flogged them. They beat them nearly to the point of death. And then they released them. And if you remember the apostles' response to that, Verses 41 through 42 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Then they went into the temple and from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Brothers and sisters, a servant is no greater than his master. Jesus was clear to us. If the world hates Jesus, then don't be surprised when the world hates you. <laughs> Right, But take heart, because if we suffer for the name of Jesus, 
if we share in that suffering of Christ, then the promise is that the Holy Spirit abides in us and after this suffering comes glory. And that is a cause for great rejoicing. However, we ought not to be staking about why we are suffering. And that's point three. We need to make sure that we are suffering righteously. Make sure that we are suffering righteously. Now, not all suffering is a ground for rejoicing and gladness. We need to be careful as followers of Jesus, as Christians, literally those who bear the name of Christ, that we don't fall into sin and rightfully deserve our suffering and rightfully deserve our hardship. Now, notice in these verses here, in verses 15 and 16, that the Apostle Peter points out some very specific ways in which we could rightly deserve our suffering. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, right? Well, that's pretty easy, right? Hopefully, nobody in this room has has killed anybody, right? Intentionally. But we remember the words of Jesus that if we are angry with someone, right, we have committed murder in our hearts. He says, you know, don't, don't suffer as a thief. But it's not just people who steal. Jesus reveals to us that it's, it's the greedy. It's the envious, right? It's a condition. It's those with the condition of sinfulness in their hearts, If that doesn't sum it up, he he gives us some pretty broad categories. Don't suffer as an evildoer, (laughs) right? Don't do anything. Don't suffer as a meddler. But in verse 16, he says, If anyone does suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't, Don't be ashamed of the suffering that comes your way. You will face suffering for bearing the name of Christ, and they will try to put you to shame. But your shame is not based in their opinion. It's not based in this world. Because one day we will stand before our Creator. And if bearing His name faithfully, we will enter into an eternal reward. Don't be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Glorify God in the name of Christ. Point four. Jesus' return should motivate your perseverance. Jesus' return should motivate your perseverance. Now, verses 17 and 18, to me, are the most confusing verses in this passage. And it isn't because what Peter is teaching us is hard to grasp. It's because the language is just confusing. Right? The language is just a bit confusing. So, let's look. Look down at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, so Peter here is talking about this judgment that's coming on the household of God, the the people of God. It's coming on us first. Now, wait a second. I thought there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thought the whole point of the gospel was that we escape the judgment, right? It is. That's true. And, and, and that's why it's a little bit... And it, it, this, is, this argument that Peter is making, it, it's based in the Old Testament. And I could spend a lot of time trying to explain this, uh, but I'm just going to give you a passage and let you go read it. Go read Malachi chapter 3. That's where, that's where Peter is getting this, this argument 
of judgment beginning in the household of God. And if you read Malachi 3, and if you read the context here of 1 Peter, you realize that this judgment that he's talking about that begins in the household of God is not a judgment for our destruction. It's not a judgment that ends in our destruction, but it's a judgment that is refining and purifying. We as Christians will have our faith tested by fire to show whether or not it's genuine. If a goldsmith wants to see a lump of coal or a lump of gold to see if it's truly pure gold, what does he do? He throws it in a fire. He throws it in a fire and the impurities in that lump of gold are burnt up in the fire and what is left over is pure and undefiled gold. That's what Peter is saying here, that this judgment that's coming upon the household of God first, it's not a judgment to destroy us. It's a judgment to purify us. It's a judgment to to strengthen our faith and our resolve in the gospel. That's why he says down in verse 17 that the outcome will not be for those, the same outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. So for those who have faith in Christ, for those uh, who have repented of sin and who are resting on the firm foundation of God's love for them in Jesus, that, that affliction, that pressure, that suffering is meant to purify us, not destroy us, not to strike us down. However, for those who do not believe, it is not the same outcome. You see, as Christians, we realize that our suffering is temporary. It only lasts for a little while. It's momentary and it's light, no matter how hard it seems. But for those who do not believe, it is eternal in a place called hell. It's not the same outcome. If the genuineness of our faith is tested through suffering, if believers who have the Holy Spirit are saved through such difficulty, uh, if you see there in 18, he's quoting a proverb here, says that the righteous is scarcely saved, right? He's, he's not saying that, that you're going to walk right to the brink of hell and then Jesus is going to snatch you out right before you fall in, right? That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying that you're saved through difficulty, right? You, your faith is refined and it's purified through difficulty. The New American Standard and the Holman Christian Standard, if you're using one of those translations, it translates this word not scarcely, but difficulty. You're saved through difficulty, Right? then what will become of those who do not have faith when Christ returns? It's eternal suffering. But there are those who claim the name of Jesus, and the moment that pressure, that affliction is put on them, the moment they realize that this faith is going to cost them something, they will walk away. They'll walk away. That shouldn't surprise us. My fear is is that there are many souls who have walked down the aisles of our churches this church as well. They've, shaped, they've, they've shook the pastor's hand. They may have even have been baptized. But the moment affliction and suffering came on them for the name of Christ, they crumbled. Their faith crumbled. And that proved, that shows, that their faith was not genuine in the first place. That faith could not stand the test, and it wasn't really in Christ. But it's those, it's, it's not those who walk an aisle, sign a card, get wet, who are saved. The Scripture teaches that it's those who persevere to the end 
who will be saved. It's those who persevere, who stand up under trial and hardship, who will be saved. Finally, point five. Last point. Trust yourself to a faithful God. Trust yourself to a faithful God. Verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will. Let those who suffer according to God's will. Here's a Bible promise. You know those little Bible promise books that you buy and it's all these encouraging passages about, you know, the Christian life and that kind of... This is not one that's ever put in those, right? God's will is that you will suffer for His sake. That's a promise, Christian, that the Scripture gives you. Rejoice and be glad, right? Rejoice and be glad. You'll suffer for the sake of Christ. Have you ever heard that God will not give you suffering more than you can bear? You ever heard that phrase? You ever said that phrase? You ever posted it with a cheesy photo on Facebook? Lots of people have. People use that verse in 1 Corinthians to say, what they they think when they say that is that God is not going to let anything bad happen to me. If God really loves me, then He's not going to let anything really bad happen to me. Right? Maybe some, some little things because of sin or whatever, but nothing really bad, nothing really difficult is ever going to happen to me. But guess what? That is not what the Bible promises us. It's not what the Bible promises us. What we find in Scripture is that not one trial or hardship will come. What, what, what Paul is talking about in that passage and, and what we should have in our mind when we say that God's not going to give us hardship more than we can bear is not that God is not going to give us some hardship that we in our, strength, or in our own strength are going to be able to bear. But what this passage is teaching us is that there is not one ounce of suffering, there is not one ounce of trial or hardship that is going to come your way that did not first pass through the hands of a sovereign and faithful God. God is going to test you beyond what you in your own strength can bear. But He is not going to afflict you beyond what He can bear and beyond what He is going to give you His strength to bear. Don't trust in your own strength. You'll crumble. Your faith will fade away quickly. It'll burn up in the fire. But the faith that God gives, the strength that God gives to help you persevere, see, that's the glorious truth of the Gospel, guys. It's not just that at one point in time in our life we're justified and adopted as sons Uh, and then the Lord just leaves us to our own until He comes again. The Gospel isn't just that. Christian, the Gospel is that God justifies us and He sanctifies us. In this ongoing work of His Spirit, He gives you the strength that you need to persevere to the end. The Gospel is not that at one point in your past God saves you. God saved you. It's that God is right now currently working in your life to rot out your salvation in the end. That one day we will all stand before the Father complete in Christ, having borne the weight of the sufferings of Christ all throughout our life. That's the promise of the Gospel. If you stand in your own strength, Christian, you will fail. God will afflict you beyond what you can bear. But not one ounce of that suffering will come your way that hasn't first 
pass through his hands. So entrust yourself and lean on him. This reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays, Lord, if there is any other way, let the cross be taken away. If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And he gladly embraced the suffering of the cross on your behalf, on your behalf and on mine. There's not one suffering that doesn't pass through the hands of God. Even Jesus' sufferings had to pass through the hands of God before it got to him. So when trials come your way, Christian, rest in Christ. He is in control, and he will give you the strength that you need to endure. Two quick things in conclusion. First, remember that your suffering is temporary. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad that pressure and that affliction comes your way, it will only last a little while. There is coming a day when King Jesus will return and we will stand before him complete in Christ by the grace of God and on that day he will wipe away every tear from our faces. Put your hope in that. Let the reality of that coming day strengthen you today to stand up under trial. Secondly, count the cost. There may be those of you in this room who, who do not claim the name of Christ. We're glad you're here. We're, we're glad you're here. Perhaps you came this morning because you're just curious about the Bible or you're curious about what Christians believe or think. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. And, and very quickly, we believe that every single one of us in this room are sinners. There is not one person who has ever lived or breathed apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who has walked perfectly in the law of God. We're all sinners. We're all deserving of His wrath. But the good news is, is that Jesus came and He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And He died on the cross and He took the punishment for your sins and for mine. And if we place our faith in Jesus as He rose from the dead and He was vindicated by the Father, we believe that one day for those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus, that we too will be raised from the dead. And that not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right? But is it worth it? You'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear preachers all day long, friend, that will tell you that if you just have enough faith, if you would just believe enough, then no trial or hardship will come your way. And if trial or hardship does come your way, it's not a problem with the world. It's a problem with your faith. Brothers and sisters, that is absolutely not true. Friends, that is not true. We believe that part of following after Christ is that it will bring you suffering. So before you make that decision to follow Christ, know this on the front end. It will not make your life easier. It might make it harder. So is it worth it to follow after Christ? Well, we've already seen in this text this morning, absolutely it's worth it to follow Christ. Why is that? Because even though grace isn't cheap... <laughs> It's free, but it's not cheap. The cost of not following after Jesus is so much higher. I invite you this morning, if you're, if you're not a believer, count the costs. But know from the Scripture and from the testimony of many people in this room that it is worth it to follow after Jesus because one day 
one day we will stand before the Father in His glory. And it's for that day that we await anxiously. I'm going to pray for us and invite Pastor Richard to come up and lead us in a time of response. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word this morning, and I pray that as we stand up under trial and hardship, Father, that You would be our source of strength. Father, help us to look longingly for the day of Your return where one day You will make all things new. And then You will wipe away the tears from our faces and there will be no more death and no more suffering and no more sin. But Lord, until that day, give us the strength that we need. Give us the resolve that we need to stand up under trial today. We pray these things in Your sovereign and faithful name. Amen.